What I want to do this morning is to, is to bring to you again something of the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why I'm, I'm picking up on this theme of fame <clears throat> is because of what we see in verse 28. Now, we didn't read it, but I'm going to ask you to, uh, to, to just look at verse 28 here very quickly. Notice what, how last week's sermon ended up. In verse 28, and immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And so here was the Lord Jesus Christ, again, having this fame that was attached to him. So what I want to do is I want to ask you to engage with me what fame is. What is the fame that the scripture speaks about that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, just one of the things that we see by way of introduction, it's very interesting, is that the idea of, 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 of the fame of Christ <clears throat> is, is the development of the idea of the fame of God that we see in the Old Testament. Then we see that in the reading of Isaiah, of Isaiah chapter 12. When Rick was reading Isaiah chapter 12, it was, about, it was all about tell of his great works, the glory of God being declared, the fame of God being known. And so we're going to take a look at what this idea of fame is. But what we're going to see particularly in our passage of scripture here today are essentially two points. And then our third point will be something of a point of application. The first point was this. We will see the fame of our Lord Jesus Christ in healing Peter's mother from her fever. And in the whole approach of our Lord Jesus Christ as he heals Peter's mother from her fever, what's going to be predominant in that healing is the compassion with which, with which he heals her. The compassion of Christ is very evident in that whole approach that he takes uh, to healing of Peter's mother. It's a wonderful thing to see. The second thing we're going to see by way of his fame is that not only does his fame come to him because of the way he compassionately heals Peter's mother, the second thing we're going to see, his fame is renowned or his fame is known because of the way he authoritatively expels those who are possessed by demons. And so what we see is this bringing together of, a, of, of this reality that we as persons, that sometimes we are afflicted physically and our Lord Jesus Christ can compassionately deal with us. Other times, <clears throat> individuals may be afflicted spiritually and the Lord Jesus Christ can authoritatively deal with that. And all this, again, builds the fame or the renown of Jesus Christ. But the real question will be this. Has the fame of Jesus Christ developed truly or brought you truly to that place where it's not just his fame that you look to, but rather it is this person that you look to by way of faith. You see, this reality that the fame of Jesus Christ has moved you to embrace him by faith. Well, we'll develop all this as we work through the passage of scripture here today. And what, I, what we're going to do, <clears throat> the primary the primary uh, point or our doctrine is, is going to be this. We're going to see the fame of the Son of God in compassionately healing the sick and powerfully expelling demons. That's going to be our controlling theme here today. And as I said before, we will see his fame in healing the sick, his fame in expelling uh, demons, and then his fame in moving sinners to faith in him. Well, the first thing I want you to consider with me then is, is, as I said before, is verse 28. Even though it wasn't in our reading this morning, it's kind of where we left off last week. But notice again, verse 28. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region around about Galilee. The fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what is this thing that we call fame? You know, it's a sad thing in many, in many regards or in many respects that some people just live for fame. You might remember a few weeks ago when we were preaching on uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, calling his disciples to be fishers of men. 
one of the things that I specifically said, <clears throat> I wasn't aware that we would be dealing with this uh, theme of fame, but one of the things that I specifically said is that when Jesus Christ calls his people, he doesn't call them to be fishers of fame. He doesn't call them to be fishers of money. He calls them to be fishers of men. And the reason why I'm bringing this out is because too often times, and sadly, people kind of direct their lives just so that they might have fame. People with this desire to be famous for the sake of being famous. Well, this is not the kind of fame we're talking about when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here was the Lord Jesus Christ not seeking fame, we might say, for the sake of fame. He was seeking to do his Father's will. Excuse me, and in doing his father's will, great fame was attached to his name. So what is this thing that we call fame? Well, fame is essentially uh, this idea of renown, uh, the idea of being known, uh, this idea of a testimony being given, the idea that there goes this information out. And in the case of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not manufactured information, is it? It is true facts about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's from this standpoint that we see the Lord having this fame attached to him. Well, as I said before, excuse me for a minute here. <clears throat> as I said before, excuse me. As I said earlier, it's very interesting to see how many times we have a reference to fame being attached to the Lord Jesus Christ. A number of times in the Gospels. Listen to these passages of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, and his fame went throughout all of Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed of devils and those which were lunatic and those which had the palsy and he healed them. Here the fame of Jesus Christ went out. Luke chapter 4 verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the spirit into Galilee and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. Again, in Luke chapter 4, verse 37 now. And the fame of him went into every place of the country round about. Luke picks this theme up again in the fifth chapter. And he says this, But so much more went there a fame abroad of him. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Well, I want you to consider with me then the fame of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see this one who has great renown attached to him because of all that he is able to do. And the first thing I want you to see by way of his fame from our passage of scripture here today is that his fame is brought to our attention by the way in which he compassionately heals Peter's mother-in-law. The way he compassionately heals Peter's mother-in-law. I want you to see this. I want you to see the authority that's exercised. I want you to see the power that's there. But I want you to see the compassion as well. And notice what we have here in verses 29 uh, through 30. And forthwith, when they were gone out, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. Well, let's consider these verses here for a little bit. The first thing I want you to be aware of is this, is that you may not recognize this, but this is actually the same day on which the Lord Jesus Christ last week, if that makes sense to you, last week we consider it, when our Lord Jesus Christ on the Sabbath day, Uh, cast out the demon, and had powerfully preached the gospel. 
You remember last week we spoke about Jesus Christ, uh, mighty in word and in deed. Well, he was there in the synagogue at the time when the people gathered. And what sensation there was in the synagogue that day, you remember. There was Jesus Christ preaching as no man ever preached. There was Jesus Christ preaching with his authority. There was Jesus Christ again preaching as a, in a way that the scribes could not match. Jesus Christ preaching with authority. You remember how we said about his preaching that he amazed, he stunned his hearers. But the other thing that we saw was this, that the Lord Jesus Christ exhibited great power that day. The demoniac that was there in the synagogue, what an interesting thing that is. I find a number of things in, uh, that, uh, that could be developed here. We're not going to develop them in detail. But did you notice that, that in that episode, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't go and seek out the demoniac? The, the, rather, the demoniac was stirred or aroused by the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. That powerful preaching of Christ aroused something and stirred something within that poor man. And so then he, he cries out and, and, this, and, this, uh, and this confrontation, as it were, ensues and the Lord Jesus Christ delivers this man. Well, after that sensational service in the synagogue, if you'll allow me to alliterate there, after this sensational service in the synagogue, the Lord Jesus Christ goes to Peter's home. And this is another interesting little picture we see. Because we see Peter, not just as Peter, but we see, we see Peter as a brother and Peter as a son-in-law. And Peter is a friend. It's very interesting. Peter and the Lord Jesus Christ, Simon here in the text here, they go, Simon and Andrew, there's Peter and Andrew as brothers. They go to Peter's house and there's Peter in the house and his mother-in-law is there. And, and James and John are with them. What a wonderful picture. What a wonderful Sabbath day that was for them. It was a day in which they heard the word of Jesus Christ powerfully proclaimed. It was a day in which they saw the power of Jesus Christ awesomely displayed. It was a day in which they were coming together for fellowship and company with one another. It was a day in which they expressed concern and care for Peter's mother-in-law. And she must have been, she must have been really sick to stop, and th as I, uh, to stop and think with me here. Here was this woman, and she was probably a godly woman. And yet so sick as to not be able to attend the synagogue service that day. And so here is the Lord Jesus Christ going with Peter and Andrew, James and John going to this house. And, and they, what do they do? They, they explain to, to, to the Lord Jesus concerning uh, Peter's mother-in-law. The care and the concern. And what I want you to see in this passage of scripture is how our Lord Jesus Christ deals with Peter's mother-in-law. It is once again a wonderful picture of Christ's compassion as well as his power. Notice what we have here uh, in, in the passage in, in front of us. As I, as I said before, uh, <clears throat> it says here, but, Peter's, uh, uh, but Simon's wife, mother, lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. Look at verse 41. And he came, and he took her by the hand, and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Well, the first thing that I want you to see here is, is this, is notice the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we see his compassion in his willingness to come and to in no way hold off to, 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 to address a Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's situation here. And the idea of the compassion of, of our Lord is something that you must understand is probably his chief emotion that we see displayed on the pages of Scripture. 
Over and over again, we are reminded of the compassion of our Savior. Again, we can, we can, we can uh, uh, multiply passages here, but just one. Uh, Matthew chapter four, 14, verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Hear the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see then, by way of the display of his compassion, is how he ministers to Peter's mother. And there are three things here that I think are very much worth noting. The first thing I want you to note is this, is that Jesus came to her. Now, this might not sound all that significant, and we might think to ourselves, boy, if he didn't go to her, really, there would have been something severely wrong. But I do want to develop this idea of the fact that Jesus came to her. I want you to see in this Jesus' concern for Peter's mother-in-law, the idea that he came to her, the idea that he didn't stay at a distance, the idea that where the need was, there was Jesus willing to go. Stop and think of that for a moment. Where the need was, there was Jesus willing to go. And we can bring that into our own day. Where the need is, there is Jesus willing to go. And this idea of Jesus coming to those who are in need is in one sense an echo of the gospel itself. Isn't this what Paul says <clears throat> excuse me, when he writes of himself? When he says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, uh, 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You see, he comes into the world to save sinners. He comes into the situation to make it better. He comes to those who are infirm and he heals them. The Lord Jesus Christ coming with compassion. I think it's something worth noting. And yes, we can read the passage and move right beyond that little word, that, Jesus, that little phrase, Jesus came to her. But I think there's something of a picture of the gospel there. Jesus in compassion comes to those who are in need. Jesus in compassion came to save a world of sinners. And aren't you glad that again, we have even in this little, this little vignette, as it were, uh, something of the picture of the compassion of Jesus Christ coming to save sinners. You see, again, this movement of the Son of God coming to those who are in need. The second thing I want you to see by way of the compassion of our Savior is not only the fact that he came, but I also want you to see how he treated her. It's a very wonderful thing to see. He came to her, but he didn't stay aloof. He came to her, but he didn't keep a distance. He came to her, you know, and again, she was sick with a fever. And the idea here is that she was sick with a burning fever. It must have been a very high fever. And our Lord Jesus Christ is not, you know how sometimes we get when we're around those who we know that are they're, they're sick. We don't want to be too close to them. We certainly don't want to be shaking their hands. But our Lord Jesus Christ comes and what does he do? He touches her. Notice what the passage of scripture says here. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up. I think that's phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. We can see this on a human plane. We can fail to see something higher here. I understand that. We can read this as just one detail after another as the, as, as the account of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ moves along. But I don't think we're treating the scripture rightly if we do that. I think there is something specific about the idea, something very tender about Jesus touching Mary, uh, P uh, Peter's mother-in-law. I think there's something that the scripture wants us to see when it says he lifted her up. Let's consider these two ideas, Jesus touching her and Jesus lifting her up. First of all, what you need to know is this, is that very oftentimes in this gospel that Mark writes, he references Jesus making contact with those who he's come to minister to. 
You see the Lord Jesus Christ again getting close to those whom he intends to save. The Lord Jesus Christ keeping no artificial distance between sinners and himself. The Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, willing to engage fully in the needs of his people. Listen to these times that we see our Lord Jesus Christ making this contact. In Mark chapter 5, and these will all be from the Gospel of Mark this morning. In Mark 5, verse 41, And he took the damsel by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Jesus taking her by the hand. In chapter 7, verse 32, listen to this. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. I want you to notice something here. Look at verse 32. Uh, There's a sense in which we see two of our themes being repeated here today. The fact of his fame and the fact of his touch. Look again, verse 32. And they bring unto him one that was deaf. Why did they bring unto him one that was deaf? Because they heard of the fame of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the things that we're going to see when fame, again, develops, if I can say it that way, in the true faith. What faith does is that faith brings those who they love to Jesus Christ. The one who was afflicted with this deafness, they brought him to Christ that he might lay his hand upon him. Mark 8, verse 22. And, there come, and he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man to him, and they besought him to touch him. Once again, the fame of Jesus Christ. They heard he was coming, and they bring him to touch. Well, again, that's our Lord Jesus Christ by way of his, uh, by way of his compassion. He touched uh, Peter's mother-in-law. But the next thing that we see is that he lifted her up. Isn't that a sweet picture that we see here? Our Lord Jesus Christ lifting up this infirm woman. Our Lord Jesus Christ healing her with a touch and with a command. And our Lord Jesus Christ raising her up. Well, this is another great theme of, of, of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, is it not? How he lifts up the downcast. How he lifts up those who are burdened with sin. How he lifts up, yes, physically, those who are physically afflicted. He lifts them up. And this is, again, a great way to picture our Lord Jesus Christ coming in compassion, the touch, coming in compassion, the lift up. And what we see here is the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ displayed with all the trappings of tenderness and compassion. Aren't you glad that this is the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, on the one hand, he will, he will have a, 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 a divine display of power, almighty power, expelling demons at a word. But now he is exercising this compassionate power. And I set before you again the Lord Jesus Christ from this perspective. He is the compassionate one. And what is your need this morning? Are you here with physical infirmity? Christ compassionately comes. Are you here again weighed down with, with, uh, with, the, with, with issues of the soul? Jesus Christ compassionately comes. Are you weighed down in your sin? Are you weighed down in difficulties? Jesus Christ not only comes, he lifts you up with his hand. And so what we see here then is the authority and the power of Jesus Christ compassionately displayed. Oh, the fame of Jesus Christ. Do you know this compassion of Christ and all of your difficulties and all your situations and all your ups and downs? Aren't you glad that it's a compassionate Christ that you can go to? Oh, it's a wonderful thing to see. And so we see him in his compassion here. But again, we also see him in his, in his power. And we see this again. Notice what verse 31 says. And immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto him. She didn't just say, you know, I'm starting to feel a little bit better now. I think the fever's broke. I'm starting to feel better. No, immediately the fever left her. This was something supernatural that took place. 
Christ displayed power and authority. And you remember, in this first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, the, the authority and the power of the Son of God bringing the kingdom of God, breaking into the kingdom of darkness is what Mark is doing in this first chapter. And he displays the power and authority of Jesus Christ at various levels. His authority to call men to follow him. Come after me and I will make you fishers of men. His authority to declare and to break in the kingdom of God. At the time is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. His authority over Satan there in the wilderness. His authority again to expel demons. His authority to preach in such a way that it's incomparable. Oh, the authority of Christ. And now his authority compassionately displayed to those in need. And so there was Peter's mother, sick with fever, laid up with fever, we might say. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes in and he compassionately heals this one. So he lifts her up. And did you notice what we see here in the passage as well? And the fever left her and, 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 she, and she ministered unto them. Well, this is again the mark of what happens in the lives of the people of God. To those who have been compassionately ministered by Christ, service is the response. Ministry is the response. Here is Peter's mother-in-law not just walking around. Did you see what just happened? No, she gets about being busy for Christ. Oh, and if I can appeal to all of you who have been, who have been touched by the compassion of Christ to be busy about the business of Christ, to take up his fame in this world, to take up his cause, to make this glorious Christ known. You see Peter's mother-in-law again ministering now uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is, again, our dear Savior, the fame of our, uh, of our dear Savior being displayed in his compassion to Peter's mother-in-law. Well, that's the first, uh, uh, the first part of what we see this morning by way of the fame of our Lord Jesus Christ, his fame in compassionately healing Peter's mother-in-law. The next thing I want you to see here this morning is his fame that comes to him in powerfully expelling those demons who were oppressing the people of that day. His power in healing, his power in expelling. His power in healing compassionately, his power in healing authoritatively. And this is where the passage brings us. Notice what we have here going on to verse 32, verses 32 through 34. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak <clears throat> because they knew him. Well, the first thing I want you to see and understand is this. Notice again, verse 32. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him. What I want you to be aware of is this. <clears throat> As I said before, this is all the activity of one day. Here we have now the evening of the Sabbath day. And so officially now the Sabbath was ended. And now that the Sabbath is officially ended, <clears throat> what begins to happen is that people begin to come to travel, to come to the house of Peter in order to have Jesus minister to them. I was reading one commentator, uh, and one commentator was saying that uh, in the vicinity of, uh, of Capernaum, uh, there were these, uh, uh, these uh, springs uh, that many believed had uh, uh, medicinal uh, 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 
power. I don't want, I want to be careful how I say that, but again, you know how people go to certain springs. Uh, hot, hot springs, Arkansas would be an example of that, where people would get into these uh, springs of water, and supposedly they would have therapeutic uh, benefits. So it could very well be that there were many who were at these springs, and they heard of the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do they do? They come. They come to be healed of infirmities. They come to be delivered from oppression. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, his fame, again, being known. And that's the first thing I want you to see. <clears throat> As I said before, this is all happening uh, on that Sabbath day. But once again, what we find here in verse 32 is that we are confronted with that sad reality of this thing that the Bible refers to as demonic activity. Now, I want to be careful here. I have in my notes, again, the fact that when we speak of demonic activity, we live in a day of almost extremes. On the one hand, there are people who make too little of it. They think that such a thing cannot be. And on the other hand, there are people that make too much of it. You know the classic saying, they find a devil under every rock. And so we have to be careful as to how we approach this. And I'm aware that I have young people here this morning, and I don't want to unduly uh, 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 get them concerned about things that, uh, uh, that would uh, be problematic. And I'm glad that, again, that there's spiritual guidance and leadership in the home to help with this. But we do have to deal with these spiritual matters here. There is the reality of demonic oppression, demonic possession. There is the reality of these things in the world in which we live today. And so how do we approach this? Well, the first thing I want to do this morning is I want to show to you three different categories, we might say, or three different ways in which the scriptures bring to our attention the activity of demonic forces in the world in which we live today. And the first is, in, is from Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And this is, again, a passage that points to the fame of our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And, the, and, and Peter says this concerning Christ, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Now listen to this. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So there's this thing that we would call being oppressed by the devil. There's a reality here that, again, that we're not going to ignore. There's a reality here that we must be aware of. There's a reality here that we're not going to overplay, but there's a reality here that, as I said before, we are going to address. The second passage of Scripture I want you to be aware of is not only this idea of, of being oppressed by the devil, uh, but in Luke chapter 6, verse 18, we read this, And they that were vexed with unclean spirits. Now, the word vexed means to be troubled. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits uh, were healed. And so again, we see not only the idea of oppression, but this idea of troubling of the soul or vexing of the soul. Thirdly, we have again in our passage in verse 32 of Mark 1, and then even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed of devils. Now again, a lot of discussion goes on as to, as to what demon possession looks like. Some prefer the word uh, uh, demon oppression uh, rather than possession. I'm not going to get into all the details here today, but I want you to see that the scripture recognizes the, at least these three categories, and we must recognize them as well. Where do we go from here, though? Do we just talk about this and then leave without any kind of insight from the scripture? No, we have to come back to where we were, remember, last Lord's Day evening. When we preach that sermon in the evening concerning the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel over the forces of evil. 
And what I want to remind you of are some of the passages that, were, that we uh, looked at last week. And the first passage is this. As a Christian, you must understand in all this, what we would call spiritual phenomena of demonic activity, you must understand this. Number one, that there is a work of victory that has been exercised by the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, and having spoiled principalities and powers, that's a reference to, the, to, to, to angelic, both good and evil forces. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He triumphed over principalities and powers. The work on the cross was a work of victory. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death, and here's the key, through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. You see, the devil's power is broken. You stand, as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you stand in a position of victory. You don't have to be unduly worried or under this kind of, a, under this kind of assault satanically. Christ has given you victory. Stand in that victory. And then, of course, the passage we emphasized last week was 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 8. He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. What are we bringing out here? I want you to see very clearly that the work of Jesus Christ is a victorious work. That you stand in a position of victory. You stand in a position of security. So I don't want you, again, walking around thinking that in some way, shape, or form, Satan or demons have a greater power over your spiritual life than Christ. It's not the case. You stand fast in the victory that Christ has won for you. You understand? And what we see when we come to these matters in the scripture, we can't ignore them because the reality is there. We can't overemphasize them because the reality of the cross has, breaking, has broken that power. And so what I want you to see and what I want you to be aware of is this, that, all, that in all the assaults that may come against you spiritually, Christ has won the victory. Be assured of that. Rest in that. Stand in that. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, having done all to stand after he, after he exhorts us to put on the armor of God, having done all to stand, stand therefore. You see, you stand in a position of victory. And so again, Jesus Christ has saved your soul. Jesus Christ, again, has not only in compassion, but also in power come to you to deliver you either from physical infirmity or from any kind of spiritual oppression. And so what I want you to see is that it's this fame of Jesus Christ and his authority over all demonic forces. It's this fame that caused people to bring other people to him. Look again in verse 32. And at evening when the sun had set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. Why did they do this? Because they heard that Jesus was there healing. They heard there that Jesus was there delivering. And so his fame led others to bring uh, those who were afflicted uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see something that's interesting here. I want you to see how the, the scripture observes and makes a point to make a distinction between physical infirmity and spiritual infirmities. Physical infirmity and spiritual oppression. You see, it's one thing to be physically sick. It's another thing to be spiritually oppressed. And the scripture brings this out. It's kind of interesting because when we look in verse uh, uh, 34, what you see is this. He healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils. 
It's interesting, the two words there. The word for healed is a word from which we get our, our English word therapy. It's a kind of a therapeutic thing uh, that, that, that the scripture is emphasizing there. And then the word cast, he expelled. It's the word to cast out, again, to expel. And what we see our Lord, what we see the scripture doing is making this distinction between physical affliction and spiritual affliction. And in both cases, the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient to the task. And in both cases, the Lord Jesus Christ is able to deliver. And in both cases, the child of God need not worry. And in both cases, the child of God makes his, makes his uh, uh, retreat to the Lord Jesus Christ and takes his or her position there. You see, Jesus, again, the compassionate Savior. Jesus, the authoritative, powerful Savior. The Son of God come to save and deliver his people. And so, again, this is what we see. And this fame is what brings uh, the uh, people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's really interesting here in, uh, in verses uh, 34 and following, and going back to the passage that we considered last week when our Lord uh, cast out the demon of the man that was in the synagogue, what's interesting is this. What we do not see happening on the pages of Scripture is some kind of extended and elaborate activity on the part of Christ in trying to work out an exorcism. There was no long, detailed interaction and dialogue between Jesus and the demon. There was no calling upon this or calling upon that. There was nothing by way of which much of kind of folklore and much of what goes for quote-unquote exorcism in our day involves. It wasn't the use of incantations. It wasn't the use of various names. It wasn't the, the use of physical things in order that something might happen. It was with the word of power that Jesus Christ, again, expelled those who were uh, expelled the demon from those who were afflicted. And that's why we saw last week when the, when the, when the, uh, crowd, when the uh, congregation in the synagogue said, what new doctrine is this? For with authority, he cast out demons. And the new doctrine was exactly that. It was no elaborate ritual. You can go back in the pages of history and in our own day and you can see all these kind of uh, uh, processes by which exorcism is supposed to take place. Do this and do it that way. Do this and do it this way. Call upon this and call upon that. Nothing in the pages of Scripture concerning that. It is the power of Jesus Christ delivering. And that's what I want you to see. You see, earlier we saw the compassionate Christ. Here we see the powerful Christ. And in both cases, Jesus Christ, again, is able to deal with all that afflicts his people. And in both cases, this is the cause and the ground for the fame of Jesus Christ going forth. And again, it's an interesting thing, the way this whole thing goes on. As it goes on here in verse 34, and he, uh, and he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out the devils. And notice how the authority continues here. And the second part of verse 34, and he suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Well, what's this all about? Well, it's, it's very interesting that this indeed may have something to do with, with exorcism that was common in that day, that there was calling upon these names, the name of this and the name of that. Sometimes even in our own day, you hear people wrongly, I would say, say to, to those who are listening to them, well, when it comes to this thing of uh, exorcism, you have, to, you have to identify the demon. None of this in the scripture. You see, in this whole thing that goes on, what we see here is the authority of Christ delivering his people. And so when we come to this question, why does Jesus not allow these demons to speak? What's going on there? Well, the first thing I want you to understand is that the reason is given 
on the pages of Scripture. We don't have to speculate much. Notice again what the passage of Scripture says. And he suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Well, what did they know about him? Well, the first thing they knew about him was that he was their creator. And uh, in, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 16, what does Paul write uh, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, Paul, says, uh, Paul says this, uh, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, with visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, or principalities or powers. Remember I said earlier how that this phrase, principalities and powers, is a reference to angelic beings, uh, angelic hosts? And so what we see here is that these demons knew that he was their creator. They also knew that he was the son of God. We see this in Mark chapter 3, verse 11. And the unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the son of God. There was one more thing they knew. They knew he was their ultimate judge. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, And behold, they cried out, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? So they knew these things. But what's interesting is this, is that the Lord Jesus Christ did not need their testimony. The Lord Jesus Christ did not uh, uh, countenance their testimony. The Lord Jesus Christ was aware of the Father's testimony to him. This is my beloved Son. He needed not these uh, demons to, to testify concerning who he was, and he shut them down. There's, to be not, there, there's not to be this dialogue, as I said before. It is the authority of Christ being exhibited here in this situation. And it's the same authority that we call on today. We look to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to some kind of, uh, not to some kind of program. We look to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to some kind of ritual. We look to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to some kind of system. We call upon the name of this one, again, whose fame goes is spread abroad. So here we see the Lord Jesus Christ, again, in his fame. His fame and compassionately healing of those who were afflicted with disease. His fame and authoritatively delivering those who were oppressed by the devil. But what about his fame and saving sinners? In one sense, this is his greatest fame, is it not? And that's why I asked you the question earlier. Has this fame concerning Christ moved you to faith in his person? Yes, we hear of his name. We hear of the mighty deeds that he has done. But have these things brought you the genuine and personal faith? And I want you to see that when we ask this question, and it's a valid question, it's a question we must, we must engage. It's a question we must press upon our own thinking. Has the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's presented to us on the, in the gospel, has this Christ come home to my heart to save my soul? You see, again, has the fame Brought you to faith, we might say. But if indeed you have come to faith in Christ, and I have every reason to believe all of you here have, but you see, I must, I must preach the gospel to you also. But I have every reason to believe that you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something, that your faith in Jesus Christ will look like something. You know what it'll look like? It'll look like what we've seen here. It'll look like you, as Peter, bringing... Jesus to your loved ones in their situation of need. Did you see what Peter did? Again, we saw the passage already here. And again, they went into the house of Simon and Andrew and Peter and John and they told him of her. They spoke to Jesus concerning their loved one. And all those who have true faith in Christ, that's what they do. They speak to Jesus about their loved ones. 
They go to Jesus in prayer. And they say, Lord Jesus, I've heard your fame. I've known your fame. I've experienced it. And, I, and, and by way of the fame of your holy name in healing and saving, save my loved ones. Save my loved ones from their sin. Deliver them from their physical afflictions. You see, all those who have, who have if I can say it this way, moved from the fame of Christ to faith in Christ, they bring their loved ones to Christ. And so here was Peter and Andrew. Again, these, these, these wonderful sons. Oh, what a, what a wonderful thing it would be to have our sons uh, bringing us to Jesus in prayer. Our daughters, our, our loved ones. Oh, may we know more of that in our lives. And so the first thing that we see here then is all those who have faith in Christ that may have, been, that may have come by way of his fame, they bring, they bring Jesus to their loved ones and they do that by way of prayer. But the second thing I want you to see is this is that what the way this faith looks like is, again, related to the first point. In that, it's this. They bring all those who have either physical infirmities or spiritual, or spiritual situations, they bring them to Christ. You see, it's one thing to bring someone to Jesus in prayer. It's another thing to bring someone to Jesus to be saved, to be healed, to be dealt with. They brought unto him all who were sick and oppressed by the devil. They brought, they brought, they brought. The fame of Jesus, the people of Jesus bring those who are in need. So I ask you the question, who have you brought to Jesus recently? Now don't get me wrong. It's the Spirit of God who saves sinners. It's Jesus Christ who, through the work of the Spirit of God who saves sinners. It's God in a very real sense who, who oversees all this, who's in control of all this. But you and I have our part, do we not? Here were these ones who, who had loved ones that were in need. Some of them were diseased. Some of them were oppressed. And what did they do? They brought them to Jesus. You see, if you have faith in Jesus, this is what you'll do. Faith in Jesus will cause you to bring loved ones to Jesus. Faith in Jesus will cause you to bring uh, Jesus to your loved ones in prayer. And so I ask you the question. Yes, you've heard of the fame of Christ. How glad I am that you've heard of the fame of Christ. But what of this faith in Christ? This faith in Christ, has it led you to bring Christ to your friends and your friends to Christ? You see, this is the picture of all those whose understanding of Christ's fame has led them to true faith. Let us pray.